Father, we pray for the colossal damage that has been done. And we pray, Lord God, for the people of Turkey and of Syria, image bearers of yours. We pray for the rescue efforts that are being undertaken. We thank you, Lord God, that people are still being rescued and lives are still being saved. And we pray for the relief efforts, Lord God, the, the rebuild, the, the providing for the basic needs is just gargantuan but not bigger than you and not bigger than your ability to provide. And so we pray for a mobilization of, of people. And in particular, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in that region that, God, that you would give them the courage and that you would allow the ears to hear in such a tumultuous time in which life has just been turned upside down for so many, Lord God. We pray that, that not only would there be physical healing and physical rescue, Lord God, but there would be spiritual healing and spiritual rescue that, that the gospel, that Jesus and his love and what he has done would make its way and be heard and received and, and, and believed, Lord God. And so we, we pray for your blessing. God, I pray for your blessing over uh, us and, and how we might be led to, to help in addition to praying, Lord God, that you would please um, impress upon us what, what, if anything, you're calling us to do. Uh, but we ask that, that the efforts would be blessed by you and that amazing stories would come out of it. You'd get the glory and honor, Lord God, that there wouldn't be a, shake, a fist shaken in your direction over this, but Lord, there would be a, an open hand reaching out for you and your, your help. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I see that uh, we must have some big Super Bowl parties going down here because we got a lot. The place was packed the first service and I'm sure everyone's rushing out. And my wife was up early this morning. She said the stores were like, there was a lot of people at the stores. So I always ask every year, just please humor me. How many of you want the Eagles to win? Raise your hand. Okay. How many want the Chiefs to win? Raise your hand. And how many really don't care? Yes, the don't cares typically carry the, well, it's a little, little that, I think the Eagles may be a little bit. Of course, we have Stephen Hinkle Day's family down here wearing their, their Eagles jerseys, which is very nice to support dad like that. That's fantastic. I just hope it's a competitive game, right? That's just, it just would be fun to see a competitive game. Before we jump into Romans, want to, you'll notice hopefully on your seat that you have something that remotely resembles a ticket of sorts. And we have a movie night coming. And what's really important is that we communicate this isn't your typical movie night. Okay, this is not your, your mom and dad. And, and we've done on the top off this one. Okay, we're going to have the movie Home, which is a an, an wonderful movie. And uh, it, it's not that long ago. So maybe you might have seen it, but hopefully you might have uh, not. You don't remember it that well. And it's something that we're, we're going to have like a live concession stand. We're going to have an intermission with games. We want you to give this to somebody that you can invite 
that maybe in particular has young kids, just come and have a great time. This is kind of a, a way for us to reach out in the community and do something that's really fun that'll, that'll keep the families together because we're about families. But this is on you and on me to invite people. So please note that movie night is not going to be your typical movie night that we're really planning some really fun, amazing things. Okay, so that's, please take that with you and be thinking of who you might be able to invite. Now, with that being said, we are going to jump into our study of of Romans as we continue in Romans chapter 8. But I thought it doesn't happen this often, but do you realize that Super Bowl Sunday is really close to Valentine's Day? Guys, two days. It's two days to get your game on if you haven't yet, right? But so you have Valentine's Day and you have Super Bowl Sunday. And I want to read to you this social uh, media post and I want you to think commitment here. Okay, listen to this, uh, this, um, this post and, and just admire the commitment of this guy. It says, once in a lifetime opportunity. Let me know if you're interested. He goes, I know it's late notice, but a friend of mine has two tickets to the Super Bowl in State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, Sunday, February 12th. They are box seats and he paid $3,500 per ticket, which includes the ride to and from the airport, lunch, dinner, and a $400 bar tab and a pass to the winning locker room after the game. What he didn't realize when he bought them last year was that it's on the same day as his wedding. If you are interested, the post says, he is looking for someone to take his place. It's at St. Paul's Church at 3 o'clock. <clears throat> Her name is Ashley. She is five foot four, a good cook, loves to fish and hunt, and will clean your truck. She'll be the one in the white dress. Message me if you're interested. <laughs> now that is commitment. And commitment is really important, but it matters what we're committed to or to who we are committed. And this morning, what we're looking at in Romans chapter 8 is that there's a lot of things you could be committed to. There's a lot of things I could be committed to. And we are, in a, in a sense. But if we're committed to the right person, then believe it or not, you have access and I have access to supernatural power. And that's what Paul, in beginning Romans chapter 8, that's what Paul wants us just to focus in on. And that right person is the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is not a force. It's not an it. It's a him. It's, 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 it is the Spirit of God who is a person and has personal being. And if we are committed to him, and, and what Paul says, walking in the Spirit, then just think for a minute, you have within you supernatural power. And I don't say that poetically. I'm not taking artistic liberty. I'm not exaggerating. This is the truth of God that we have in us, those who are followers of Jesus, who have put our faith and trust in him and and, and in return receive the spirit of God. We have supernatural power. And Paul wants to make that very clear and he set it up, in, and particularly he set it up in, in Romans chapter 7, the, the uh, ver, uh, chapter preceding the one we're going to read. So I'm going to ask you, let's get our Bibles open or our Bible apps open. I want you to find your table of contents, and we're going to look at this supernatural power and, 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 and understand it better so that we can experience and encounter it probably a whole lot more than we do. So if you look at your Old Testament, your New Testament, I want you to find the sixth book down in your New Testament. It's the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the church in Rome and 
You'll be at chapter one. Would you turn to you get to chapter number seven, actually? I want us to <clears throat> kind of set up chapter eight. And I want to go back for just a moment. So Romans chapter seven, I'm going to start with verse 15. Tell me if this does not give words to your own experience at times. Paul, arguably the greatest New Testament person, says, for I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And then skip down to verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. And then in verse 23, he says, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. I mean, can you not relate to that? Is there at times inside of you what seems like a battle, a war? You know what you want to do. You know the right thing to do. But you don't do it. And it just, there's a tension. You can feel that. And that's kind of what Paul was leading up to chapter 8. What's the antidote? What's the answer? The answer is the Spirit of God inside of us. The supernatural power that we have. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 4, Paul says this. In order that the law's requirements would be accomplished. He's talking about God's commands. The things we want to do in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the Spirit. There's that walk according. There's the, there's the antidote. It's walking with the Spirit. Little few verses down in verse 6. He says, for the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Not the angst that we have and not the angst that Paul was just speaking of a few verses up. And then in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So my friends, we have those of us who are followers of Jesus, and I realize not everyone is. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. Is that at all something you recognize? Are you aware of it? When you woke up this morning, when you walked in the doors of this church, did, did, did the thought at all cross your mind? Inside of you is the Spirit of God, a supernatural power. Because that's what we have. So often we, we don't, think about that so often we're too distracted by it well Paul wants us to drill down right on it and understand it and that's what we're going to do this morning so in Hebrew or excuse me in Romans chapter 8 verse 12 follow along me if you would he says so then brothers we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you're going to die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live all those led by God's spirit are God's sons for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. 
For we know that the whole creation also has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, Paul is talking about this incredible power that we have and the life that it leads to. In contrast, he talks about the flesh. And, and the first thing that I want you to notice is that God gives us the Holy Spirit. It is for the purpose, the supernatural power we have. It is, he says, to destroy the deeds of the flesh. In other words, to destroy our sinful habits and hang-ups. We have been given the Spirit of God to do that. Now, to understand what Paul, he talks about the flesh, and he talks about the deeds of the flesh, or living in the flesh. What does he mean by flesh? Well, by flesh, he's talking about people who, generally speaking, live independent of God. They look to themselves, and they live for themselves. Their happiness is their highest priority. It's that which they seek more than anything else. And they rely upon themselves. They're dependent ultimately on them. They, they rarely, if ever, look to God for help. And they kind of set their own moral compass, their own sense of right and wrong, and they follow that, their own kind of right and wrong. And they're happy with that. Now here's what really is interesting about the flesh and the people that I just described. These people also, in many instances, they're very nice. They're successful, they're respectful, they're law-abiding, they're fun to be around. And yet they lack the thing they need most. And that is the Spirit of God in their lives. And so Paul is talking about the flesh. He's talking about those who are in the flesh. There are some people right here, you're, you're nice, you're successful. There are those of you tuning in, that you're, you're, you're fun-loving. You're law-abiding. But you live from the flesh. You live according to your own sense of right and wrong, out of your own willpower and strength. And you depend upon you. And there are also Christ followers who, like myself, occasionally the flesh sneaks out, jumps out in our lives. And what we end up doing is what Paul says, the deeds of the flesh. We live according to the flesh. So from the flesh, from what I just described, come out things like, Getting drunk, getting high. I, I want to be fun. I want to be. I want to uh, call my own shots. I want my uh, sense of right and wrong. And hey, there's nothing wrong with getting drunk as long as I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, certainly the Scripture doesn't say anything against drinking, but it has a lot to say against drunkenness. But you know what? If if I'm living my life out of my own sense of right and wrong, then what's wrong with drunkenness? We talk about sex outside of marriage. We talk about laziness. We talk about um, dishonesty. I mean, these are the deeds of the flesh. Materialism. The deeds of the flesh. But the deeds of the flesh, the things that you and I have, those, those sinful habits and hang-ups, there can be some that are much more subtle than that. There can be those uh, gossip. I mean, how easy it is to, to gossip. And, and you can actually frame it in a prayer where you pray for someone and, and, you, and you let out information that other people hear that really have no business hearing. 
or that moment when you realize what's in the balance is, is your, um, your reputation. And so you, you color the story a little bit to make yourself look better and the flesh just jumps out at that and wants that and you do that. And well, why did I do that? Or maybe, just maybe, you're driving on 176. On a Friday maybe, which is where I was on Friday. Driving on 176. I was coming back from doing something really very nice. What I have to say about driving, I learned to drive in Texas. We drive aggressively when we're there. I like to go fast in anything I do. Fast. I like speed. And I'm, I consider myself to be a nice driver. I really do. If someone needs to come in, come on in. Come on in. I'll let them go in. If someone lets me in, Hey, thank you for letting me in. But if you come up on me fast, there's like a switch that flips and I cannot explain it. I, I, I don't consciously think about it, but it's like I, feel, I feel like I feel threatened in a way or I feel like you're trying to push me along and pride says, don't push me. And so yesterday or, or Friday, I'm driving and there's a guy, two lane road, we got two lane road. I'm driving the speed of maybe even a hair above it. I mean, because I, I drive fast. And there's a guy next to me driving about the same speed. This guy comes flying up behind me. I mean, right up on me as if to say you're going slow. And believe me, God's saying, don't do it. <laughs> the spirit of God's going, don't do it. I proceeded to let him know how slow I could really go. <laughs> and I went from about 45 down to about 20. He went around me and then he cut me off. And I lifted up both hands. He saw 10 fingers, not one. And I clapped for him and said, oh, well done. And of course, at this point, God's going, all right, well, we blew that one. And he proceeded to stay in front of me and we drove all the way down to the intersection of 176 and Meridian. And he was the first car in the turning left-hand lane. I was the first car in the turning, uh, going straight lane. And again, God goes, don't do it. I looked over at him like, dude, what was that about? He rolls his window down. I roll my window down. Yeah, I'm full on messed up. And I, I, I proceed to tell him, we, we didn't raise our voices. We didn't use inappropriate words. But I kind of in a polite way told him he was a moron for the way he came up on me like that. To which he told me I was going too slow. Uh, we didn't agree. No surprise there, right? But my friends, that was my flesh. That was, my, that was in a moment, just popped out of there. And, and, and God gave me many instances to stop, stop. And I just blew past them, blew through them. And that's how the flesh pops out like that. And the deeds of the flesh come out that way. And honestly, for about two or three hours after that, I really felt bad. I was like, God, I'm sorry. I went home. I confessed it to my daughters. I just, I felt terrible about it. And, and that's, that's how the flesh works in you and in me. And what Paul says is the deeds of the flesh, if we do not put them to death, and if we live our lives out of the flesh, he says, you are going to die. And clearly what he means ultimately is if you live your life that way all the way to the end, then ultimately you will die and be eternally separated from God in hell. 
But up until that time, he says, you will also smell death. And the smell of death will, will come in the form of worry and fear and anxiety. When you're living out of the flesh, there'll be envy and insecurity and boredom. And my friends, these are the smell, these things are the smell of death when we're living that way. But Paul says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you've got the spiritual, the supernatural power in you. And what we have to remember, when we hear supernatural power, we want that. But if we're honest at times, we want that power to do what we want to do. But that's not why we've been given it. We have been given the supernatural power of God to do his will and not our own. And Paul is saying, you've got to put the deeds to death. And the only way you can do it is by the Spirit. And so we have the strong language. He's saying, put it to death. Choke it out. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You see, if we really want to put the deed, put to death the deeds of the flesh, we've, we must have a wartime mentality. And what I mean by that is, is we have to ruthlessly declare war. Remember what, what Paul was describing in his own life in, in chapter 7. It, he says, it's like there's a war being waged in me. And, and we need to ruthlessly declare war against the flesh, against the deeds of the flesh. In which we stop using every part of our bodies, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our brains, our hands, our feet for the things that are against God. And we do it ruthlessly. We don't let the things that tempt us to hang around. We don't back off them. We don't ignore them for a few days. We can't do that. What we are called to do is to kill, to destroy, to flee, to not play games. I likened it, if you recall a few weeks ago, to you starve the bad dog that's in you and it's in me. You starve it to death. You, you put your foot on its throat and say, no more. And you do that by the power of the Spirit of God inside you, the supernatural power inside of you. And at the same time, you feed the good dog. You, you, you tell yourself, because this isn't moralism. You're not trying to be a, a better person, a, a better version of you. This is understanding what Christ has done for you and the love that God has for you. And out of, out of understanding that, out of wanting to um, honor him, out of, wanting, out of gratitude, you put these things to death, motivated by the love that God has shown you and shown me. And, and, and Paul's saying, you have it within you to do that. But he says, one, don't do it alone. This is not something, you don't ever go into battle alone. You've got to have a community of faith to do this with them. And then the Spirit works as you um, feed the good dog. The Spirit shows up in you. That supernatural power that I speak of shows up in you in the form of godly sorrow and conviction. My friends, that is the only motivation that will change you and change me. That's the only motivation that will choke out 
and, and destroy the bad dog in you is there's godly sorrow. Not sorry that you got caught, not embarrassed that people know. It's a real sense that the one who loves me the way they love me. And I've done that. And through that godly sorrow and the conviction comes true motivation to change. You'll, you'll find strength to withstand the temptations that I talk about. And, and as a matter of fact, we just read, what, what does the Spirit do for you in verses 26 and 27? The Spirit intercedes for you. That means in those moments when you're overwhelmed, and, and that's just the human condition. There, there's plenty of places where we're overwhelmed. And we don't even know what to pray. The Spirit steps right in. And knows you better than you know yourself. And prays for you. Intercedes for you. Exactly what you need. My friends that's supernatural. That is a supernatural work of God. That we have in Christ. And what does Paul say? He says you will live. Dependent upon circumstances. I mean how many of you are looking to find happiness and peace. And you're hopping from one thing to the next thing. Hoping that the circumstances change. And okay now I'm happy. I mean, that's exhausting. This is a piece that comes without having to hop from one set of circumstances to another. You'll find harmony in your relationships when you're walking by the Spirit. You'll know your purpose in life. I mean, there is life. You'll be secure in who you are. I'll be secure in who I am. And so my question is, are you living? Are you really living? The way the Bible speaks of life, the way Jesus said that he had come to give us life and to give it abundantly, does that describe or characterize your life? Does it characterize mine? Because when we're operating out of the flesh and when we're letting the flesh take over the steering wheel, my friends, it's crash and burn. There's no life in that. There's either death ultimately in the end or there is the smell of death along the way. And Paul is saying, you have the supernatural power within you for something greater. Secondly, you notice that Paul made a reference to being adopted. That we are adopted. Verse 15, he says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. We have access to the supernatural power that Paul speaks of. It is through the adoption of us into God's family. It is something that he initiates and that he seeks after. What we have to understand back in Rome in this time, the way adoption was commonly played out was you had a, a wealthy male father who had no heirs for whatever reason. And he needed to pass on his wealth and his estate and he didn't have a male heir. So he would adopt a male heir. And whoever he would adopt, he would assume all of the responsibilities and obligations of that person. And he would pass on all the privileges, every single one of them, to this person. It was a legally binding arrangement. And so with that in the background, Paul is saying, all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. That we have, been, we have the spirit of adoption we've been given. We have been adopted into God's family. Just imagine that for a moment. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You have been adopted into his family. Now, when he says that we are God's sons, let me just parenthetically say for a moment, this is inclusive of daughters as well. We, we need to respect and recognize that this is a patriarchal society that Paul uh, is writing in and, and that is reflected in that way. But just imagine really being a child of God. 
And it's not just something to kind of throw out theologically. What, what practical meaning and value does it have? Just set your mind on that. Particularly if you're a father or a mother, you're a parent and you, you have children. Just let that relationship and how important that relationship is to you and then multiply it by a million, if not more, and understand that God has adopted you as a son or daughter in that way. Now, what I, I, I think it's important we recognize with this, this analogy of adoption is that a lot of times what people want to think is that if you're whatever, you know, everyone who's born is born a child of God. I mean, that sounds nice. Probably looks good in a, in a Hallmark show. But the reality of it is, it's not, not everyone who is physically born is a child of God. Now, everyone who is physically born is a creation of God. But the only way to become a child of God is to be adopted into the family. And the way that we know we're adopted, Paul tells us in, in chapter 8, verse 9, is we have the Spirit of God inside of us. If you don't have the Spirit of God, then you're not a part of the family. He says in verse 9 of chapter 8, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So it's having the Spirit of God inside of us that allows us to really understand that we truly have been adopted and we are literally the sons and daughters of God. Well, what else might we have in the spirit that we've been given? We've also been given a supernatural power to experience a real, personal, and intimate relationship with God. You see, in verse 15, he talks about that we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, let's talk about just Father here for a minute. I got to make another little pit stop here, okay? Um... Though there are plenty of places in the Bible where God is referred to in maternal terms. And certainly in, in Genesis, we understand that, that women are equally created in the image of God as men are. God, who is genderless, who is a spirit, has sovereignly decided to be referred to as Father. God the Father is a biblical term. God the Mother is not. And I just want us to make sure that we're careful and we understand that. But I really want to focus in on Abba. What does Abba mean? Abba was a term that was used in the, in the family by young children. And it, it, today it kind of is like our word daddy. I mean just, just imagine. Do you think of God as daddy? When you pray to him, do you go to him and, and, and say Daddy. I know some people, they, they struggle with that. It's easier for them to say Abba. But, but I mean, Jesus, when he was in the garden, said Abba, Father. And, and this is what Paul is saying, is that we cry out this. When the Spirit of God comes inside of us, it's, it's for the purpose of experiencing a real, genuine, intimate relationship with God through the Spirit. In such a way that we express deep emotion by crying out. In other words, we feel it inside of us. There's, there's something very personal about our relationship with God. As real as the person you might be sitting next to. And it's intimate. And you treasure it. It's not some cold, distant, behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz kind of thing. He is there. And it says that the Spirit testifies that we are God's children. He says we're also heirs. So the Spirit's job, among a few, a few responsibilities the Spirit has, is to inwardly testify and convince you and bring in you assurance that you really are a child of God. 
that God really does love you. That is his responsibility is to champion in you when, when you start feeling bad about yourself, when people start saying things about you, when, when, when negativity starts creeping in. His job is to beat the drum. You are dearly loved and cherished. Do not lose sight of that. God says, as a father, bust in the room and come on in. He's, he's not a boss that you have to perform and hope that you perform well enough that he loves you. No, he's God the Father. It's kind of like any little kid. I mean, when, when they're really young and they see mom or dad, maybe it's in the church lobby, maybe it's somewhere else. I mean, they don't care about when, you know, running up and all they want is mom and dad. And they don't care who's around. They don't care what's going on and what they might be interrupting. They just don't care. And in a way, Paul kind of wants us to think about our relationship with God in that way. We might think God's too busy. A lot of stuff going on these days, right? We got stuff flying high up in the sky and we got, um, you know, an earthquake and all this stuff's going on. I, I, I can't bother God. I beg to differ. Bust in the room. He cherishes that. And he gives us that privilege and he gives us the supernatural spirit of God inside of us to understand that. Because the spirit's in game, my friends. It is to champion and to convince you and assure you that God loves you deeply. But with any family or with, with a lot of families, um, you know, if you see a family, sometimes they, they get a moniker. They get kind of a, a label. They get, they get uh, a reputation. Right, you've got athletic families, you've got musical families, you've got really, God's family has a reputation. God's family has a way about it that we, particularly in our culture, struggle. Verse 17, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him. Actually, uh, your translation might say provided that we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth Comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Suffering is a part of the family of God. It just is. And the reason Paul put this here is because I think a lot of times people look at when they're suffering. God must not love me. Bad things are happening to me. And, and believe me, you can turn on, on a Sunday morning, you can turn on some places where you'll see a preacher say, that God loves you and, and, and he'll show his love through blessing you. They don't say a doggone thing about the suffering. And what we need to understand is that when we suffer, it's almost God's way of saying, you're a part of my family. And this is how we're to be known. You're a part of a family that the world hates. And so you're going to suffer. Now, I'm not talking about suffering for being a bonehead, okay? I'm not talking about suffering for doing something really stupid like flying down, you know, 176 and, you know, slow, all that kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> I'm talking about suffering for your faith, for believing what you believe in, loving who you love. That is what, that is what Paul is talking about. And he wants us to keep suffering in perspective because he says, it pales in comparison to what is in front of you. It pales in comparison. So when you're going through the suffering and you're struggling, God knows it's hard. And he just doesn't say, buck up buttercup. He says, think about the future. Think about what is to come. 
Look to the future to help you through the difficult present. Moving on, we have the Spirit of God inside of us, a supernatural power for the hope of your glorified end and creation's glorified end. We have this glorified future in front of us that the Spirit of God gives us a hope for that. A realistic hope. He says, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. And by creation, he's talking about the earth and all that it contains. So he's saying that, that the earth, and he says, the, for the creation was subjected to futility. You see, when, <clears throat> when Adam, who was entrusted with managing and caretaking creation, when he brought sin into the world, he drug creation down with him. And we read that creation groans. It hurts. And that's, that's why we see natural disasters. That's why we see diseases and birth defects. And he's saying that creation is groaning, waiting for the day that we will be in our glorified state and creation will be free. It awaits that. It looks for that. It hopes for that. As do we. For creation to be restored to its perfection because Paul says we also groan within ourselves. Don't, isn't that what you do? Don't you groan inside? There's that tension, right? Between I've been adopted. I have the spirit of God inside of me. I know what God wants and he's given me a desire for it. And yet the battle wages within me. And, and, and the more I rely on the spirit, the more I walk in the spirit, the better, the, the better I'm feeling. But I'll never do it perfectly. And so there's that tension. There's that pain between being adopted and what we know is still a part that we wrestle with and that is our flesh of the human condition. It's still a part of our present reality. But we have in front of us a hope. There's something out there. There's a hope out there. And he calls it the first fruits, which is the Spirit of God. And he uses first fruits. He's talking to agrarian society, right? Uh, and he's, he's also thinking about, as, as a Jew, the Jews had these festivals. And they would celebrate these festivals in honor and recognition of things that God had done. And there was a, a festival called the Feast of Weeks. And it was to honor the harvest that God provided for them what they needed. And they would go out and they would get the first fruits. They would bring it back and they would celebrate it. And they would eat it knowing more is to come. And, and coincidentally, and I, I say that somewhat sarcastically, is the Spirit of God, which is the supernatural power and presence in your life and in my life that we've been given, that's called the first fruits just happened to come out and be poured out for the first time at Pentecost during the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. And so what we have in the Spirit is we have a down payment, we have a deposit that God is saying, I guarantee you that your glorified future is out there. And the hope that you have for it, let me give you a little taste of it now. Let me pay down a little bit now. So that you can hang on to that and you can cling to that. And the Spirit of God will give you the, the conviction and the desire and the strength of that hope. Because we have inside of us a supernatural power for that purpose. And what I want you to notice about this hope. And I'll, fi I'll finish with this. Verse 25. Look what Paul says about this hope. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. How in the world do you eagerly wait for anything? 
That's like run slowly, shout quietly. How do you do that? What does Paul mean? Because this hope that we have, which is guaranteed through the presence of the Spirit of God inside of us, but we know it's probably out there. How do we hope eagerly and not become impatient? Well, let's, Jesus is always the answer. What does Jesus say about this? In Matthew chapter number six, listen to what Jesus says in verses 19 through 21. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. How do you eagerly wait? How do I eagerly await? Well, think about it this way. How do you eagerly wait to move to a new state? You don't build up a lot here where you currently are, right? If anything, you're downsizing in preparation for there. And you're excited about it. So you might, you might pick up the, some things and buy some things in preparation for there, but you're really not focused about here. Well, that's, that's how we are to eagerly wait for this glorified future that's in front of us. But, but, but why people, why is it so easy to think that this is it? And we're gonna live for here and we're gonna, we're gonna buy everything we can here and we're gonna experience everything we can here. We're like, we got to turn around. What we have here is, is to help other people get there. And so we take, we take our, our, our money and our time and, and we say, how do we invest our money and our time in things that heaven finds valuable? Things like forgiveness and reconciliation and, and, and sharing and telling other people about Christ and, and helping the poor and those kinds of things. That's what we do. We focus on that here and we're building up treasures for where we're going to be there. That's how we eagerly wait for the hope that we have supernaturally drilled into us because of the Spirit of God. So my challenge for us this week is I want you to pick a habit or a hang-up and I want you to battle it to the death. I don't know what yours is, but I think you have an idea what mine is. And I'm serious. I've got, I gotta get my hands around this. I don't like myself when that happens. And let me just say this. Do you know how happy I was that it wasn't a church member that I was talking to? When the window went down, I looked at him and went, okay, phew, it's not a church member. I think that was God's grace and mercy right there, right? But that's mine. I, I don't know what yours is, but I want you to battle it to the death. Choke it out. And determine what is your offensive move going to be. And your offensive move, that's feeding the good dog. What are the things that you can start doing that choke that out? And then the defensive side of the game is what must you stop doing, stop seeing not be around to starve the bad dog so that you can choke it out and not have the war waging inside of you in the way that it has, okay? Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, please, Holy Spirit, please keep championing and cheerleading Jesus in our lives and giving us the strength that we need to beat 
down and to bring to death the things that rob us. Amen. Can you stand again, please?